Hey everyone, this is Craig Horlbeck from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Join me, Danny Heifetz, and Danny Kelly every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to help you win your draft, win your league, and most importantly, avoid that last place punishment. Follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. It's the Ringer's Philly Special presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Welcome to the Ringers Philly Special Shield Kapati, the midweek show, joined by my friend Sean Syed of Sumer Sports. Sean, I got a little listen. I got a little cold, cough, throat, headache thing going on. I'm not going to say this is like my flu game. Uh, I'm not saying I'm a hero for persevering and powering through. I am saying you're going to have to, I mean, you usually carry me anyway. You're going to have to carry me a little bit more than usual. And apologies to Cliff for all the coughs that I have during this that he's going to cut out. So there you go. That's the start of the show. Sure. Look, I just want to make sure, you know, I'm glad maybe we're in separate rooms for this one. Don't want to get, you know, any germs spent, sent through the mic. Let's stay uh, healthy. I was sick enough already. I went to the Cowboys game and it was, a, you know, it was a little bit of a, a sick feeling. My friend got tickets. He was a fun to watch and I mean there was a like a 10 year old kid in front of me and he was waving the third down towel and I have a tendency to lean forward a little bit when I'm watching a game that I'm really into just getting whacked in the face constantly not the kids fault at all not the kids fault I was in his strike (laughs) zone but you know it seems like we're both playing hurt today Shiel there you go so here's what we're gonna do you know we, we were texting earlier in the week and I was like no one wants a deep dive film review of what happened on, when was it, Sunday night, Monday night, Sunday night. You know, we all watch the game. We'll get to some of that stuff. The question in Philadelphia this week is like, what is this team? Can their issues be fixed? Are they still legit Super Bowl contenders? So here's what we're doing. This is a how to fix the Eagles episode. We're going to tell you, here are the issues we see on film in the data, with our eyes, here are the actual problems with this team. Here are potential solutions to fix them, whether, you know, those solutions will work or not. 
we'll get to some of those. Some of them, it's like, well, they could do this, but it's probably not going to work. But we're going to go through that because, listen, this team's still in a good spot. Uh, they, uh, they are 10-3. and three. They control their fate in the NFC East. 49ers lose the game. You could still get the one seed in the NFC. So there is still time. And also, they're still relatively healthy compared to a lot of these other teams. So there you go. I'll knock on wood uh, for you there. So there's still time. Right now, the team that played Sunday, can that team win the Super Bowl? No. But we know teams evolve, teams change over the course of the season. So that's what we're doing today. I'm excited about this one. I think this is going to be good. This is going to be a great deep dive before we get into the final four weeks of the season. And of course, we will finish with a little preview of that Seahawks game. So Sean, let's start with the offense. We're going section by section. I mean, this is basically what you said. This is basically like a, you know, like, like a NFL, you know, quality control meeting or something. I mean, that, that's how I would look at it. I've never been in, uh, in one of those, but we're going to go section by section. I'm starting with the offense. All right. Offense right now through 14 weeks. They're eighth in DVOA. You know, you're, you're looking at this team saying they suck. Some of you, they're eighth in offensive DVOA. That's not bad. They're 10th in passing. They're fifth in rushing. Last year, they were third. They were fifth in passing first in rushing. So the numbers suggest there has there been a drop off. Yes, there's been a drop off, but maybe not as dramatic of one as you might think just watching this team. Now, I will say this, the comparison is a little bit imperfect because the Eagles blew teams out in the first half of games last year, uh, and then they played conservative in the second half. So it's probably a little bit bigger of a drop off than those numbers suggest. Uh, if you look at the first halves this year, Sean, they haven't got off to fast starts. I mean, we talk about it almost every week. They're 11th in EPA per drive and 12th in success rate in the first halves. Uh, last year, they were top three in both categories. Uh, before we get into the run game, does any of that surprise you? Do you feel like when you're watching them, the numbers match kind of what you're seeing? Like, all right, they still have good players. They're a good team. They're not a great team. That's about where I would expect the, uh, them to rank or do those numbers surprise you? I do think so. I think it's a good example of just like how fickle success in the NFL is and how quickly things change. Again, it's not that they're dropping from second to 22nd. It is that little bit of a drop off where it's certainly a top 10 team. Maybe it's not a top three team at this point. Obviously, you know, we'll we talk about the reasons why often, whether it's hurts and different things, we'll get a little bit more into. But I think that, yeah, that is one where I think that the numbers are not lying to us. Okay, let, let's get into the run game here because uh, we talked about it last week and I, I think you nailed it when you were like, you run teams out of those two high looks, you get the one high looks and then you, you're going to be able to throw the football a lot easier with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. But right now, teams are not afraid to play with two high looks against this Eagles run game. You're just not punishing them enough uh, for that right now. So uh, overall, they're fifth in DVOA in rushing DVOA, and they're first in rushing success rate. Now, uh, the brotherly shove, you're going to say, Sheil, come on, that's just going to skew the numbers. Those are always successful. And that's true to a degree, but if we look just at the running back carries, they're actually fifth in success rate. And you're saying, all right, but what about like there? A lot of these are on late downs. No, first and second down, they're fourth in success rate. Like when I was digging through the numbers, Sean, I thought, you know what? Uh, you can't really find numbers that say they stink at running the football. Are they are they worse now than they were like the first half of the season? Yes, but they ran the ball well uh, against the Chiefs. 
I actually thought they ran the ball pretty well against the Cowboys. What did you think? They, you know, they ran a the, lot, lot more inside runs uh, in that game. They had the one drive to start the second half where Swift is really getting going. And then A.J. Brown fumbles the ball. Uh, I know your favorite word is encouraging. And trust me, we're not going to use that a lot uh, in this episode because I know Eagles fans like we don't want to hear about encouraging with the way that team has played the last two weeks. I would say it kind of applies to the run game. Did, did you feel the same way watching the film? Yeah, that's how I felt live. That's how I felt going back on film. And th- I, I'm glad we started with the run game because that's like our, you know, our little softball entry. Like it's easy to be encouraged about the run game. I like what you said there about mentioning those inside runs. I think that is something that we really asked for over the last few weeks where thinking about what's going on here, what's going on here, being more vertical in that run game, being more attacking. And they, I felt like they're, the designs of their runs, it relied less on Jalen Hurts really being that horizontal stretch, which... I think that's smart when you're not feeling if your quarterback can threaten in that same way. And then they get to some of those gap scheme runs. So where there are obviously different ways to succeed in the run game across the league, whether it's, you know, disguise, having a really diverse scheme. The Eagles are a we are better than you rushing attack. And I'm okay with that because they are better than you up front. So continuing on that, I do actually think in the run game, this was one to build on, even though obviously the results were less than ideal. So you just touched on it there. Like there's a lot of talk, you know, do they need to change things up schematically? Do they need less uh, shotgun runs? Should they be using more under center? Should they be using more uh, pistol here? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like, like, are there big changes with the run game you see them implementing over the last month of the season? Is it a case of, hey, just simplify it a little bit more? You know, who are your bet? Like, run behind Jordan Mailata and Landon Dickerson. You know, just run in, inside zone and get get it right against the, uh, the right looks over and over again. What are your thoughts on schematically, whether they're okay there or whether you would like to see them switch some things up? I do think being a fully like gun run team that is difficult you have certain cues where you know the running backs to one side of the quarterback the defense can morph things in a little bit way the eagles do a good job of making sure that hey we're still going to run to the right side even when our running back is on the right side and now this was the first week where i felt like okay they're relying a little bit less on the quarterback being able to hold like one and a half sets of eyes there so i just like i do want to see continue to see that push towards inside zone and I mean Hertz looked good on a lot of those interior runs at Q counter and all that kind of stuff so schematically my issue is that we're not going to see them grow a fullback on a tree and pick them out and put them in there so they're not going to have that sort of diversity I think it would be unrealistic to expect that but yeah there's just issues to being a gun run team I don't see them becoming an under center run team overnight would I like them to be I mean you know it would be fun to watch on film but like you said the numbers have shown that they have succeeded well i think that after a little bit you know they obviously get that injuries on the right side a little bit earlier in the year i am comfortable with the with where the run game is at even if it's not just a hey we can lean on a team for the whole entire game yeah the hurts thing is i like can't wrap my head around it i mean they come out what was it the second play of the game and it's a designed run to jalen hurts and he looks good and he has a nice game there and the previous week we hadn't we didn't see that until the third quarter of that 49ers game that, you know, he, he was a factor in the run game. So it's just hard to predict what it's going to look like uh, week to week. But if your eyes are telling you that Jalen Hurts is not as effective as a runner this year, uh, the numbers would back that up. You know, I was trying to account for the brotherly shove and I was looking at, all right, if we make this when they have uh, three yards or more to go, Jalen Hurts' success rate this year, and this is designed runs, not scrambles is 35.5%. Last year, 49%. 
So this is like a major drop-off. He is not as effective as a designed runner, as an option runner, as he was last year. And that's what we see. We talked about that on the post-game pod. He's trying to avoid contact. He's played through an injury, uh, all those different things. So that's something that's just, it's hard to predict what it's going to look like. It feels like they can still, it's kind of like, you know, break in case of uh, emergency. They still have it at their disposal. And maybe if he gets a little rest here in the final month of the season, that can be a factor in the playoffs. We just don't know that. For sure. All right. The other thing here, Sean, you are, I feel like you are a motion aficionado. I mean, if I have questions about Mo, who's using motion, how to use motion, do you like motion? Don't use motion for the sake of motion. All those things, you would be my first call, my first text. The Eagles have used, this has been a a big topic. I think Nick Sirianni's been asked about it uh, often. They've used motion on just 92 of their runs, the fewest of any team in the NFL. Let's. They, someone asked this question like the, the second week of the season. We're like, oh yeah, we'll get to it eventually. We never really got to it. So talk to me uh, about motion and in the run game specifically, then we can get to it uh, in the passing game. What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? Is it something that the Eagles can just wake up on a Tuesday morning this week and say, hey, we're going to do more of this and it's going to look good and it's going to help us next week? Is it something you say, no, you probably need a longer time if you're really going to become a higher percentage motion team to get it right, uh, to get it to help you? So uh, that's like seven questions in one. But again, you're the motion king. You can handle it. She love motion. You know, I love emotion too, but just we'll, we'll, we'll just stick with motion. It, it's always important to think, well, what purpose, what purpose is your motion serving? I think that to be, to say, Hey, we just don't use motion. Like that is not something we agree with to me. I think that that like lacks an appreciation for, for, for what motion is. Maybe I am definitely pro motion bias, but in the run game, if you're using that jet motion, part of it is to help set up your offensive line angle. So usually linebackers are going to get pulled over to that a little bit and then you can run away from that where now your right guard is climbing at a really good angle instead of having it a little bit more difficult it can also force the safety rotation so sometimes you will see the safety rotation earlier because the the motion kind of automatically sets it off i will say it does there not that there are there are negatives to it in that now that player is less likely to go vertical up the field usually in the past game this year i think We've seen that a little bit more. But then again, thinking just, okay, well, this is a gun run team, you know, teams that are heavy motion in the run game. A lot of times, you know, they're running that kind of behind the back sweep that we our favorite 49ers run a ton of, or, you know, that little jet touch pass. So I just think there's so many things that you can do with it where maybe you're like like many years ago, you think of motion as, oh, you use it to identify in the pass game, whether it's man or zone, like you can use it as such a leverage advantage, especially in the run game. We'll, we'll definitely talk about it more, I think in the past game as well so it i think when the offense struggles it it is a little bit frustrating because that's something that you can point directly to and it's rare i think to see a team just say you know motion like that's that's like not what we're all about i will say having the static looks is positive in the sense that well most of the time aj brown and Devonte smith are just better than you but we're not even talking about the past game yet Sheila. i'm getting too excited about the past game so in the run game when i think of motion just you're you're pushing linebackers over you're changing your angles, you're giving a flash at the snap where, I mean, you see teams do it against the Eagles all the time where you feel like you can get the edge on someone pretty quickly, but it doesn't have to just be that. It widens your menu that you can make things all look the same. And now, I mean, I'm getting, I'm getting all heated thinking about motion. Yeah, well, I mean, your point there about it's you don't just say it's not something we do. I mean, that's kind of what Nick Sirianni's response has been to it, honestly. Uh, he, he's been asked about it 
over the course of the past couple of years. And that has basically been uh, his response that that's kind of not what we do here. Now, do they do uh, a little bit of it? Yes. You know, I just said 92 runs. It's not like they don't do uh, anything out of it, but uh, I think they use motion at the lowest rate of any team in the NFL. And it goes back to what we've talked about before. Like, yes, you have great players, but you could still make their lives easier. And these are little tweaks, little advantages. You met, had a great explanation there. The little angles uh, in terms of the blocking game make life easier for those offensive linemen when they're climbing up to the second level. Create that split second of hesitation with the linebackers where they, they're just not going to get a run through. And all of a sudden, DeAndre Swift is you know having to dodge somebody in the backfield. So uh, again, it's not like the Steelers got made fun of during the entire Matt Canada era. Like, they brought in Matt Canada because they're like, he's going to bring, you know, motion tower offense. He's at the at the forefront of this. And, you know, every smart X's and O's person was like, they use motion and it does nothing uh, to the defense. So you don't want to do that. We saw, honestly, we saw a little bit of this with the Eagles in 2020, where their offense was a little stagnant and ownership and front office got a little involved. And, hey, how do we want to put together this coaching staff? And they said, hey, Rich Scangarello, he's, you know, he's coached with, Kyle Shanahan, let's go get that guy. They bring him in, and now you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and they're trying to use more, and it doesn't fit. with. So again, I'm not, I'm not telling you you can just all right show up on a Tuesday and it's going to look different. I do think it's something um, though that they can lean on to get those little edges for sure. So um, last uh, couple things here on the run game, Sean. You mentioned uh, you had the great point last week. I forget what the numbers were, but they're getting a lot of light boxes. Like teams are not. If teams are not going into these games against the Eagles saying, we're going to stop the run. We're going to bring that safety down, play single high. We're going to shut them down and make them throw the football. That's kind of how it used to be, where they were like, well, let's let's make Jalen Hurts prove he can throw the football against us. That has changed this year. And it's not just against the Eagles. It's a, We all know it's a league-wide trend here uh, in many ways. So last year against six or fewer in the box, they had a success rate of over 53%. This year, it's 44.6%. So again, the numbers back up what we're saying, which is that when you get those light boxes, are you punishing the opponent and saying, we're just going to run the ball down your throats? And that has not been the case for the Eagles. They haven't been efficient uh, enough doing that so far this year. And I do think if they're going to make a run, if this offense is going to improve, if they're going to get better looks in the passing game, uh, it kind of has to start there a little bit. And then the last thing is, I mean, they don't have big leads in a lot of these games. You know, that was part of it last year where you have big leads in some of these games and then you're running the football more to keep the lead uh, rather than to get the lead. And so that has certainly been a factor as well. So uh, I don't know. Overall, I looked at it and, and we're going to get to a bunch of different aspects again here. I look at the run game and I thought like there is hope that this could be a pretty damaging run game down the stretch and in the playoffs. Like the offensive line is healthy. Uh, if Jalen Hurts is relatively healthy, he's going to be a factor. We both like how DeAndre Swift has played uh, so far this season. Like, I think this is something that actually can get going and can be a key to them having success in the final month of the season. Uh, what are your thoughts? What are your kind of, what are you kind of looking for uh, as we look ahead to, to what this run game might look like in the next four weeks? I absolutely agree that it's something that, you know, I think they are going to lean on it because from a defensive perspective, the Eagles have, they always come out in the numbers with a high pass rate over expected. You know, those early down passes is something that they really love to do. So defenses understand that they're going to get into too high. You're going to keep getting those light boxes that, that I would be unbelievably surprised if that was to just go away overnight, because it doesn't make sense when you're approaching the Eagles offense. And as you said, I think it's important to remember, it is a league wide trend that defenses are so good at 
are so much better now at defending the run from light boxes. It's something they're comfortable with. It's something they've been doing for years. Where nickel is the most used personnel over and over, how linebackers stack over the defensive linemen. Teams are just really good at that, especially kind of in that defensive line spot. And I, I don't think I'll ever be like, hey, we need to really establish the run kind of person. But there is a real rhythm to it. And the offensive linemen always speak about it. The running back always speaks about it. And then coaches come and speak about it too. So I think that against the Cowboys, you do see a little bit more motion. You do see coming out on that first drive being kind of run heavy. So I feel like that is the the team telling us, you know, we we, we understand that. Like we, we're looking at the film and seeing the same things that you are. So it's something that I think that as we go forward, you know, schedule lightens up a little bit. You're facing some defenses that look a little bit different. That's something that hopefully, you know, in, in three weeks, if you still let me talk into this microphone, Shield, we're talking about a run game that's just, you know, climbing up towards that top five area. Yeah, it's interesting in terms of frequency. Like you're right. I don't think people realize that if you look at how often they run or pass the ball on early downs when it's a close game, uh, I'm trying to find where I have the numbers. Yeah, they're, they're like sixth, I think. Yeah, they're they're sixth in the NFL, uh, or they were sixth in the NFL last year at 58.8% pass rate. This year, they're at 60%. Fourth, they're running the ball at almost the exact same rate when you look at those neutral situations as they did last year. So um, we'll see. You, you, that's a good point you made. I mean, they come out in the second half and they're like, how can we get back in this game? And they start running the football with DeAndre Swift. And man, it looked really good. I mean, he had what runs a seven, six, seven, and then they throw a slant to A.J. Brown and he fumbles there. And now all of a sudden you're down by even more. So those things definitely play a factor. Uh, I think it's something they can lean into a little bit. Uh, I think it's something when the offense isn't working, when the passing game's having issues, when they're having protection issues, which we're going to get into when we talk about the passing game here. It's something they can lean on a little bit more. I still think it's available to them, even if it hasn't been maybe as devastating uh, to opponents as it was last year. All right, let's take a little break. Then we will get to the Eagles passing game and we'll save the defense for the end in case you're like, all right, I don't know if I really want to listen to this or not. All right, we'll be right back. Cash in on balling out this NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. I mean, this is a great time to use this. We've got the Sixers. Look at the schedule coming up. They got the Pistons. They got the Hornets. They got the Bulls. They're going to be big-time favorites in all those games. Now is a great time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and there's a wide range of ways to bet, including quick bets, live same game parlays, the parlay hub, and more. So visit fanduel.com slash ringer Philly and turn dimes into dollars this season. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. First online real money wager only, $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes 
you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. All right, we are back on the Ringer's Philly special. You got any good, like, uh, you know, recommendation when you have like a little sore throat, a little cough going, what, what's your method? Are you like, I'm just going to hydrate? Are you a tea guy? Are you a, a lozenge or a cough drop guy? Are you uh, just, it will pass, leave it be? What's your, uh, what's your methodology? Everyone has a different one. I'm always interested. Michelle, you know, I'm not a tea guy. So I, I feel like that's like around the house, there's just tea being poured everywhere. And so that's like not for me. So I'm definitely like hyperhydrate. You know, I, I have doctors in the family, so maybe I should ask them instead of just putting this pseudoscience. I do feel like there is something about like getting a good workout in when you're sick. I don't know why. Maybe it's just like a total mental thing. I'll, I'll do some Googling after that, or maybe in the, okay. when we're talking about the defense or something, but I'm a firm believer. If you can get out of bed, get a little bit of workout in. I know, I know Cliff works out through his runny noses and, and that's, that seems it's, it, like it's keeping him up. So, so that, that's my strategy on that, Chill. Hey, listen, I, I did get a little workout in uh, this morning and then I came back and I fell asleep for a little bit. So I don't know if that was a good <laughs> idea, uh, a bad idea. The ener- energy was sapped, but I'm like, I need some physical activity. I've been locked up in this house for like three days. I haven't seen any fresh air. Cliff, uh, what do you got? I see you you're chiming <laughs> in here. Quick, you, you got any strategies for me? I don't got a strategy for you, but any, uh, any more skirmishes okay. at the uh, Delco YMCA? You know what? There actually was another like pickleball, like... You, yeah, yeah, there was a pickleball thing. Like somebody, you know, wasn't on, and then someone's yelling, you know, you only got this much time. And someone, like, the old lady's like, I'm taking a break. And they're like, well, hurry up. We're not- I don't know what this pickleball culture, I haven't like actually played it uh, or been a part of this. Like I messed around a little bit on the side. I, I don't know, Cliff. Are you noticing this anywhere? The, the, I think Nick Foles won some pickleball thing last week. I was about to say week, it. Right? She was going to ask that? you if you knew Look, your, our guy Nick Foles. <laughs> Listen, yeah. I can't afford anywhere that has pickleballing going on oh in this, my inside God. that facility. So Please. I'm going to just leave it at that. But I think you could find another gym near you, Show, I'm sure there's probably – you live in Delco. I'm sure there's probably a good okay. 10 gyms in two-mile radius. So you should be able okay. to find All something right. soon. I mean, I don't know if the audience wants to listen to this or not, but this has been a big point of uh, contention in the Capadia household. Because, I mean, listen, it is just the why. So stop, you know, I'm not going to some, you know, country club or anything. I know you're trying to put me uh, sure. in that by they're playing pick, pick, but it's, it's the why. But see, you get the discounts on the kid stuff if you're a member of the Y, you know what I mean? So if they're doing any kind of gymnastics or tennis or you get the, so, so they get you like that. So you're paying more for the monthly, but then you're getting the, the deal on the kids. So I'm like, the kids better be doing these lessons. Otherwise we don't need to be paying for this place. And all this pickleball drama, we can get away from it. So uh, I might have you come over, talk to my wife. We'll get that sorted out in the new year. All right, cool. I appreciate that. Now, can we get back to the run game? Yeah, let's get to it. All right. All right. Thank you, Cliff. All right. We'll move on from the run game. We'll get to the passing game here. All right. Eagles were fifth in passing DVOA last year. They are 10th this year. Uh, You know, a lot of stuff is pretty comparable. It's not that different. When you look at Jalen Hurts in terms of EPA per play, exactly the same this year. 
as last year. Now, his success rate is lower. He's 17th in success rate. This year was 11th last year. We've talked about that before. A little more reliant on not turning the ball over and explosive plays rather than that down-to-down consistency. This is a big one, I thought, Sean. I want to hear your thought on this one. Expected completion percentage. For those who don't know what that is, this is a next-gen stats uh, metric. They basically just look at every pass attempt what is the likelihood of a completion? They look at uh, how far downfield is it? Obviously, a check down is going to be easier to complete than a pass 40 yards downfield. They look at receiver separation. Is this a tight window throw? Is there no one within 15 yards of the receiver? They look at uh, pressure. Does the quarterback have pressure in his face or does he have a clean pocket? And this is all based on the uh, you know the GPS things they, they wear in their shoulder pad. So this is, you know... Take it for what it's worth. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's pretty, it's consistent across the board. This isn't someone charting it saying, is this an easy throw or not an easy throw? Jalen Hurts' expected completion percentage, Sean, 61.6%. That is second lowest in the entire NFL to Bryce Young, a man who is playing with Adam Thielen and a bunch of people I don't need to mention right now, but really one of the worst supporting casts in the NFL, whereas Jalen Hurts is playing with A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard. My issue with this passing game, where are the layups? Where are the easy completions? How are you not scheming? We we watched that 49ers game two weeks ago, and holy cow, their best players are running free in advantageous matchups. How come every time it feels like the ball is going to A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith, it's like a, oh, back shoulder, oh, contested cat. Like, they have to do something spectacular. Like, that does not make sense to me. That does not compute to me. In my opinion, that is absolutely a fair criticism of this passing offense. What do you think? Yeah, I think... That it is a fair criticism. And whenever I think of expected completion percentage, I think you can split it a little bit in terms of, well, is the scheme opening up receivers in a way that you have a really high expected completion percentage? And then there's obviously also the quarterback's decision. So it it does get skewed a bit in the sense that Hertz is not the biggest fan of checkdowns in the world. And I think that I'm I love, you know, standing up when Jalen Hurts throws a deep ball. Like that's not something that we're against. But so it's a little bit of a marriage of both of the scheme opening up someone and then a quarterback decision where they're obviously promoting the quarterback to push the ball down the field. My issue is that they're, and we talked about it earlier in the season where you get those curl routes kind of over and over and over again. And it's okay. I keep saying it when you have AJ Brown one-on-one Devante one-on-one, they can route a guy up. They can win that over and over. There's just not a lot of flexibility there when you're having people in static positions where they run their route, they turn around. If they're covered, you're turning to your right. There's another guy that ran a route turnaround and is static so something that I mean how many times am I going to talk about the 49ers offense but there's just always guys running across the field where it's working into the quarterback's vision so you know there there are definitely times where it feels like well it's it may be a quarterback decision but it feels like the plays that are being run themselves are not putting the offense or maybe they are putting the offense in good situation again I fight myself on this so much where one-on-ones are good when you're better but They are not layups. They really aren't. And their Eagles like really don't have a play action game. Like it it is the RPOs, I think, are much more of probably what they see as closer to that. So it's it's frustrating. Uh, I think when I look at it, it, like how many times are we going to see a guy run 10 yards, turn around, be be covered up and then you work to your two to your three, but they're also covered. So I I feel like that's a that's like a a play design thing uh, more than even a play calling, more than really even a quarterback decision in my mind. 
I think that's an important distinction because Brian Johnson's taking a lot of heat right now. He calls the plays. He doesn't design the offense. Like the, the, the Nick Sirianni is an offensive coach. He's in the offensive meetings. Uh, he does you know, he was designing it last year with Shane Steichen and the rest of the staff. He's doing the same, uh, this year with Brian Johnson and the rest of the staff. And so I think you make a good point there and it's absolutely fair. I'm glad you made the point about Jalen Hurts. I think Dan Orlovsky, uh, you know, did a video that was getting some traction and he was right. You know, there were opportunities for Jalen Hurts to complete easier throws and he pushed the ball downfield against Dallas. I'm kind of with you, man. I've watched the film and I'm like, I want my, like, I don't want my quarterback always just taking the check down. I want him pushing the ball downfield. I want him uh, seeking out those explosive plays. Like that's what's made this offense good the last two years. So I'm not one of those people who say, always take the play that's on the chalkboard. And this was the right way. If it's for six yards, when you have a chance for a 30, I'm like, no, no, no. This is why you pay AJ Brown $23 million a year or whatever it is. So I'm not against that. Like if, if this was a situation where he said, that's why the expected completion percentage is low, I would be like, that's fine. The quarterback likes to push the ball down the field. That's not my concern. My concern is that there should be easier big time completions to your playmakers. The, the buttons that you mentioned that you can do, uh, you can push to help these playmakers. Motion was one of them. Again, I'm not telling you it's like the, the be all and end all, but it is one thing you, we see all every other, all these other teams. I mean, Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel, like we, I could give, go through the entire, they're doing things to help these guys get advantageous matchups, moving the receivers around. Eagles are not doing that nearly enough. And these are talented guys. Like you got two bona fide number one wide receivers. I mean, I said it before, Devontae, put Devontae Smith in that Chiefs offense this year. He might lead the NFL in receiving yards. Like he's that, he's, he's that talented uh, of a player. His role is different here. We know what A.J. Brown can do. We know what Dallas Goddard can do. So that's one play action. Another one. You mentioned, yeah, why is that not more uh, of what they do to open up the middle of the field a little bit to get those linebackers uh, cheating up? They don't push on that uh, button nearly enough. So those are some of the and, and by the way, every time. I mean, do they have the highest percentage of offensive pass interference when they're trying to run a pick play? In the NFL, I swear they cannot. Like, how is this still an issue? This has been three years of, I, I don't know. I would have to look up the numbers. Maybe other teams are getting called for this a lot. It doesn't feel like it. It feels like every time they're running a pick play again, which is a good idea in theory to free a, uh, free a guy, get a guy open specifically against man coverage, they get called for offensive pass interference. So these are the things like this is the job of the coach is to help your best players be in positions to succeed, and I do feel like it's fair to criticize the uh, the Eagles coaching staff for not doing that uh, at the degree that they could potentially be doing that. I do wonder how much of it is a comfort thing for the individual pieces of the offense. So is it that Dylan Hurts really likes to have that more static picture on the outside? Is it that A.J. Brown really likes to run that specific route? And I don't know, then I think of Devontae Smith, like he can run the entire route tree. He, he has no problem doing it. He loves being inside yeah. too so i go back and forth on my head because of course it, it it is about maximizing your players and then like can you access the same ceiling if you're so scheme based i think the answer is is yes like we see it we see it across the league and teams that are so successful in it so i feel like it was something early in earlier in the year where when whenever they win my first thought is well like that's exactly why you isolate and then when you are not having as much success like your those issues are shown so if you're a team that knows you can isolate and win there's so many teams across the league that can't do that that they try to get to that in the highest leverage situations but aren't able to so you know maybe if you turn that dial a little bit where it's easy for us to say hey why don't you guys just call the plays that work but there are i think 
really distinct things that you can do that we've just really spoken about that you can get to. But obviously, you know, play action from the gun is not nearly as effective on linebacker as it is from under center. I mean, I'm sure someone can, can throw a number at me that maybe that's not true, but like you can feel the linebackers just like, obviously they're threatened in like an entire different way where you get that space opened up differently. So that th- this, like, it feels like something where it's, it's like an in retrospect in the off season, we like, it gets looked at and then comes out the next year where hopefully it maybe evolves a little bit. Cause I don't know if you like, it feels like I imagine a lot of the offense looks similar than it does last year. Maybe not like the highest, a uh, level of, of evolution not that offenses have to change year to year but when you're getting kind of stopped a little bit you need a, a little bit bigger answer sheet i think without having done a deep dive on this that's the, that's a problem that's the one of the biggest problems is that it looks like exactly the same as last year and it worked and it worked last year and guess what it's not not working their eighth in offensive dvoa so i'm trying to keep reminding myself uh of that and one-on-one matchups i mean you talk to any coach at any level any play like that's a big part of football i'm not saying that you you're, you're not you don't need those yes you need those that's why talented players that's why jimmies and joes versus x's and o's so that has to be a part of it i think we both feel like it's probably too big a part of it right now where so much is reliant on just hey player x aj brown Devonte smith jalen hurts dallas goddard make an incredible play and that's going to be our offense where it doesn't always have to be like that like and you can help them you can help them uh, create bigger plays and that's not happening happening uh nearly enough i think right now okay a couple other things here sean with the passing game big difference on early downs uh this was interesting to me like if you just look at the numbers right now they paint a picture of like Jalen Hurts kind of bailing this offense out on third down. I mean, like those numbers I mentioned, eighth and DVOA and the stuff with the passing game. First and it's not happening a lot on first and second down. I mean, last year, uh, their success rate passing the football on early downs was almost 48%. This year, it's down to 41 or 42%. He's below average, uh, 21st in success rate on early downs. On third down, He's fourth in success rate. I mean, you work for Sumer Sports. They put out those nice charts about, you know, now how does a quarterback perform when it's an expected pass situation? He's actually thriving in those situations. In third down, when the entire defense knows you have to pass the football because it's third and seven. And you know what? We can do things creatively. He's actually coming through better than almost every quarterback in the NFL in those situations. Now, the problem is that's not how you want to live. We know third down, there's going to be variants. It can look good one week. It can look good one year and not look good the next week, not look good the next year. First and second down are stickier. You know, the the nerds uh, would tell you that that's kind of what you want to look at. Like what an offense is, is more first and second down. Third down, it's more what we were talking about. Is the quarterback making a play? Is the wide receiver making a play? It's not what, you know, it's less about what you're maybe doing uh, schematically. So one aspect of this is the RPO game, which digging into these numbers, it, man, it backs the eye test that the RPO game is not nearly as effective as it was last year. So Hertz throwing on RPOs this year uh, on early downs is at 42% success rate. Last year, 53% success rate. That is a massive drop. 
you are, again, you're a motion connoisseur, but you're also a little bit of an RPO connoisseur. Coach Flynn, our friend, I was going to wear the Princeton hat. It was, I don't know, my head, I, I felt like I needed a warmer one with this sickness. So I, I decided to go with this one. It provides a little more warmth uh, for the bald dome. But uh, Coach Flynn is also an RPO connoisseur. So we're going to have to get him on to talk about this as well. But what are you seeing with the RPO game? Because man, this one, it, it's fun when you look up a number and you're like, Oh, this is like exactly what my eyes are telling me, whether I'm watching live or watching the film. It feels like the defense has a beat on what you're doing with the RPOs. It feels like you're creating a fewer explosive plays with the RPOs than you did last year. You're creating less confusion. Defenses are more ready for it. All the numbers back all of that up. What are you seeing with the RPO game? How can it be fixed? I think it's a combination of they are running the same one. So defenses are obviously more used to it. It's not as much of a surprise. Like, it has proliferated so much across the league that defenses are used to that. And then when you include that, like one of the best answers, well, last year, for example, you think of that long run against the Vikings, even if every single part of it is covered, you can't still also account for the running uh, for the running of the quarterback in that situation. So Hertz is not able to do that or not able to do that at the same level you would hope that he's able to do it, particularly hopefully in that first round of the playoffs. So him not being able to stretch the horizontal part of the defense and then also being like, the fourth option as part of a triple option, that definitely, I think, is a little bit of a bummer. I would like to see, obviously, I mean, Coach Slant has the privilege of not having all these, like, illegal man downfield penalties called. I mean, the, it's like the wild, wild west out there when you see in the, seeing the refs in college football not throwing RPO flags. Obviously, they have different rules. But I do want to see more of those downfield RPOs, where I think we've seen it twice this year. They ran it, I believe, to Devontae Smith against the Jets. Maybe it was A.J. Brown, but then they ran it to A.J. Brown in another week where you're, you know, like I saw Joe Flacco run one of these this week. I know that Jalen Hurts can do it. I know it's in the playbook. I know it's able to succeed where <laughs> you're really, really, you know, you are baiting that safety to come inside. If he's not going to do it, we're going to hand it off. And, you know, well, I think with Goddard back, you can feel better about your six, six for six up front. But once that safety starts to come down a little bit, you're going to take your receiver on that inbreaker every time. So I, I don't know, maybe it's, it is a combination of a lot of things, but I hope that especially as they lean into more inside zone, like that is really, I think, one of the best RPOs off of it to me where yeah, maybe I'm thinking about it a little too much from a college perspective where like this is this is just the, the cheapest button that I feel like a lot of college teams press because it's so impossible to always be right every time, especially when there's a running quarterback. So I want to see a little bit more vert- verticality there. And then even like I know we all remember the good old Nick Foles days where it's stretch lucky where you're running that stretch and you have a slant coming behind it like that's a good way to kind of attack the linebackers as well and I mean I will admit you know I have a a peering eye to to see what Shane Steichen is up to and it just seems like there's always someone open in Indianapolis so I I do think there's a lot that uh, is being left on the table there right now yeah I mean it definitely feels like there can be more creativity more by the way there was an RPL this last week where Jordan Mailata was like seven yards downfield and they did not they did not get the flag so you never know it depends on the uh on the officiating crew i noticed that one live and then watching the film i got a little reminder there that oh okay i guess it doesn't uh always get called but yeah i mean that's obviously part of what they do and it just hasn't been nearly as effective and i mean that one's interesting because we have seen them kind of like uh, after the bye week, right, you you pointed out, hey, they incorporated this one from the Dolphins with the slant, the flat, and the wheel. So that's, it's kind of on, it's got to be on their radar a little bit, right? Where they're looking at, hey, well, what are different ones we can use here to make these defenders wrong, uh, to give ourselves, by the way, the run numbers with the RPOs uh, are also 
not good. So it's not just, hey, the passing game is less successful on the RPOs. The run numbers are not nearly as good on the RPOs. And again, yes, is part of that Jalen Hurts not being the same runner as he was last year and dealing with uh, the injuries this year? Yes, I don't think that's all of it. So I think, you know, that's going to be a big part of what they do when you're a shotgun uh, run team. The RPOs are going to be a big part of it and they need to just figure out, all right, what are we going to do to make the, I mean, you would have liked to see it already happen. We're going into week 15 here, but um, that has been a problem. That's definitely a problem we can identify and one that we'll see if they get better at here uh, throughout the final month of the season. All right. This next one is a big one on people's radar here, Sean. The zero blitz, not just the zero blitz. Let's, let's call it the, you know, it, it's when opponents rush six or more at Jalen Hurts. So this is not just a five-man pressure, which all the services will say, um, you know, that's a blitz. And it is, you're, ru- you're, you know, you're rushing more than four. That's not the issue. The issue is when they really come after the quarterback with six rushers or more. This is every week you're watching an Eagles game and the announcer points out, hey, the defense going zero blitz here. And you know what? It's been too many times where then the next sentence is, Eagles didn't have an answer or Eagles threw a screen or Jalen Hurts had to scramble and run around or Jalen Hurts was sacked or it, it hasn't been a positive. And, you know, if you want, if you're like Team Sunshine, cover your ears here. OK, because you're not going to want to hear these numbers. Jalen Hurts against six or more pass rushers, 27th out of 30 quarterbacks in success rate. OK. 32.7%. Last year, he was up around 44%. It wasn't like great last year. And you thought, all right, this is going to be something they're going to improve this year. No, no, no. It's gotten worse this year. And by the way, Sean, this I thought was very interesting. He's faced more dropbacks of six or more rushers than any quarterback in the NFL. This is like a consistent, every opponent is seeing this on film from previous weeks and saying, ooh, that's not a bad option for us uh, against Jalen Hurts and this Eagles offense, because guess what? They're not making teams pay for it as much, as, as nearly as much as they should. And I know it's frustrating to Eagles fans. You know, my friend Lemur, who listens to the pod, he's on, on, the, on the group chat during the game. How are these other, even whenever the Eagles blitz, these other teams are burning them. And then whenever they blitz the Eagles, they can't do it. And I'm sure some of you have had that exact same thought. So uh, it's not just on third down, by the way, you and I have talked about, you know what? Third down is usually when you get to your creative stuff. He's seen those big blitzes 29 times on early downs. So now you're going back to, hey, they're pass heavy on early downs. Defenses know that. We saw this in the Chiefs game. They're not waiting till third down to break out their creative stuff. They're not just going to give you easy completions on early downs. They're breaking them out on early downs. And now all of a sudden you're wasting a down. Uh, you're, you're behind the sticks and it's second or third down. So talk to me about the best teams in the NFL. When you're watching them burn these big blitzes, what are they doing and why aren't the Eagles doing those things? Yeah, the, the zero blitz is something. I'm so glad that uh, you kind of mentioned it because they're, it, 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 I will say it's a league-wide epidemic. Like every single team is really struggling at solving it. So it feels like, I mean, Brian Flores is obviously- That's such a, a football job. guy take, Sean. I mean, what <laughs> Chill, a, I'm, I'm on like what, what part a football, one a league, of the League-wide <laughs> epidemic, the zero blitz. I'm going to talk about a football yeah, well, guy right there. All right, so I had to guy. <laughs> I saw that in the notes, and I was going to call you out in the notes, but I'm like, I'm just going to save this uh, for the show. All right, go ahead. Now I do well, want to hear your answer. I'm a believer in it. I stand by it. I'll take the roast, just like the way the quarterbacks are getting roasted. So 
The defense can always guarantee they have one more than you have to block. If you block with 10 people, they can send 11. They have one more than you. So it's not that you can really avoid it in that way. I do think that one of the reasons why Hurts sees it more than most is because they love being in empty. And it feels like defenses are saying like, all right, you're going to line up in empty. We know that we're going to be have a positive experience when we rush six at your five. So I do think that that is one of the reasons why. And then the Eagles, a lot of times they'll check into that, um, like a quarterback run. And that hasn't been very successful. To me, my favorite teams are favorite like plays that you see against cover zero blitzes. Like, think about it. There's no player in the middle of the field, like the deep middle of the field. So I actually I want to attack that deep. And the Eagles have done that, which is what <laughs> frustrates me. They have, Minnesota was the particular game where you had Devontae Smith on that post because there is no one back there. Like, yes, you do need to hold on to it. You do need to understand that. And Hertz does a good job. It's like, oh, you have to drift away from that Ed, that last rusher. The offensive line actually, I think, does a pretty good job squeezing down and making the the free rusher be the one that has the longest way but teams that can like consistently attack the post and actually Mike McCarthy loves doing this so we're just sending love to the Cowboys we're sending love to the 49ers but teams that attack the that deep post area and are able to do that against cover zero those are the teams that I think are going to have a good time but then you can think about like the Eagles default answer is that five and in from from AJ Brown they've had some success on that but then when it's Devontae Smith you know it's a little bit more fragile where there's just more of Things that can go wrong there. But then you can also think of it getting in your regular man beaters. Can you get into crossers? Can you set picks? Can you, and maybe not get called for them, are just like in breaking routes from the slot, like attack that middle yeah. of the field area where people do like screens there. But I don't know, maybe I'm just an enthusiast for, <laughs> for, the, for the biggest of the big plays. But the Eagles have done it. They've thrown that, that deep ball against cover zero. And, and maybe, maybe it's something, you know, I'm sure that Nick Sirianni is tuned directly into the podcast. Maybe, maybe he thinks about it a little bit more this week. I mean, I think you nailed it. That's what I would like to see is take your shots downfield. You know, like this is a big, at its, at its core, this is a big playoff. You have Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, and Dallas Goddard, and teams are telling you they're, they're willing to play man coverage with no safety on the field. Like that should, if I'm going football guy, I'm walking in there going, that should make you mad. They're disrespecting you. They don't think, I mean, but seriously, I mean, what they should be well equipped to be killing these zero blitz. Not throw a, you throw a little screen to Julio Jones against a zero blitz. I mean, if I'm in that booth as a defensive coordinator, go, even if he get, if he, even if he breaks a tackle and gets a first down, great. Uh, mission accomplished. Let's do it again uh, on the next third down. And let's see if they do that again. I mean, they should be fearful of what you can do with your pass catching weapons when you are willing to play such high a uh, high risk tactic on third down uh, against them, and it's just not happening. Um, good good call out by you on the empty uh, facing those big blitzes. I, I actually was just able to look it up here. Uh, Jalen Hurts has faced ten of those this year, where they're an empty and a team goes zero blitz by far the most in the entire NFL. Um, he's four for seven on those plays uh, for 38 yards. So 5.4 yards per attempt, no completion over 12 yards uh, in those situations. So uh, it's a problem. Uh, that's one that I feel like that's got to be fixable. I mean, but again, this isn't like this didn't just creep up last week. And so it has been an issue for them. Now, we've mentioned a lot about throwing in the middle of the field. So I want to get your take on this. Like 20, what year is it? 2023. Okay. 2021, it was like Jalen Hurts will not throw in the middle of the field. It's a quarterback thing. He doesn't throw in the middle of the field. And then they trade for A.J. Brown. And 2022, it's like, ooh, Jalen Hurts can throw in the middle of the field. He's throwing A.J. Brown in the middle of the field. We're talking a lot about that now. Do you 
like, what is your sense? And it's not something that you can like, you know, answer definitively, but is this a quarterback thing where the quarterback might not be as comfortable throwing in the middle of the field? Or do you see it more as a uh, schematic type thing where they're not giving him enough options in the middle of the field? How, how do you sort of read that? I think I lean towards schematic on this because when I remember last year watching Eagles film, something that I just love that they did, it's really simple, you know, specifically when they were in empty, you got one guy running that really short kind of just four yards and turn around and then a guy on the outside of them running a deeper in cut over them and you're high lowing linebackers like a linebacker has to decide, am I going to like cut the space in half and play it down the middle where you can throw it underneath? Am I going to attack the guy underneath or you're really like, you're forcing the linebacker up a little bit. The safety is too deep. That's kind of one of the best ways to access the middle of the field. And, you know, you don't see that a ton on film this year. And I will say they did have one nice one against the Cowboys where I think it's Devontae Smith runs a short five and in Goddard runs a deeper 10 and in. And it's beautiful. Like when I saw it live, I was like, this is look at us fantastically attacking the middle of the field. So to me, it, it feels like maybe Hertz doesn't prefer it. I, I think that if you ask Jalen Hurts and he was to give you a straight answer deep down deep, this is a guy who wants to throw the ball vertical to the outside. And I, I love that about him. Uh, so maybe not his like his preference. I think there, there's been some throws this year where usually if both of us are talking and thinking, you know, that, that is that a turn down? Maybe a little bit. Usually it happens over the middle of the field. But I do think it's part of, partially like the options aren't always there. We've seen throws to Goddard where he's running from right to left, one against Washington, one against Miami, an awesome throw in that kind of deeper middle middle of the field area so it's not that he can't do it it's not that he hasn't done it i think i in that way i would look to uh like the the plays that are called where it's like you know let, like let's let's change those curls a little bit let's get those kind of wrap ins going just like we did last year yeah no i would uh i would agree with you solak was having a uh i don't know what the a meltdown in the post game pod about aj brown not you know and it, and it does feel like anecdotally i mean I would, I would have to look at the data but he's not running as many routes uh, as many crossers in the middle of the field, like you said, into the quarterback's vision uh, across from defenders as maybe he did uh, last year. All right. Last thing on the passing game here from a coverage perspective, uh, Sean, I was looking at Hertz's numbers this year compared to last year against man coverage. Very similar, very similar this year compared to last year. Probably what you would expect, right? You have like the same, you know, same pass catching uh, weapons. You're running a lot of the same stuff. It's a lot about, hey, uh, are these guys winning one on one? So that was similar. And against all single high, single high safety defenses, coverages, his numbers are similar. Again, single high cut, single high safety. You're probably throwing to the outside. That makes sense. That hasn't looked that different against split safety zone coverages. So we're talking about uh, cover two, two deep defenders. Uh, with five underneath, we're talking about cover four, where it is, uh, you know, four across, four, uh, four deep, three underneath, and then cover six, which is a combination of both. Those are your split safety zone coverages. Sean could probably name 400 different variations uh, of those right now, but uh, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. Those are the basics that get charted uh, for us, and so we're we're going to go uh, with, with those. So, I mean, I can't often tell the difference. I'm I'm tech, I'm messaging Sean. What you know? What uh, is this? But you just need to know that means middle of the field is open. There is space in between the two deep safeties. So against those zone coverages, Hertz is. 24th out of 30 quarterbacks in success rate. Last year, he was fifth. So this is like the major drop-off if you're saying, what is, a, what is a big difference last year compared to this year? That is one area where they were shredding those coverages last year to, to a very high degree. Has not been the case this year. 
And oh, by the way, teams are more comfortable playing those coverages because you you can't you're you're not making them pay uh, with your run game. So talk to me uh, about that Eagles against those split safety zone coverages. What are you seeing on film? What are solutions? What are the best way to attack those coverages that we can look for if the Eagles are going to get this fixed? Yeah, from a defensive perspective, every defense has a weakness. And there's almost always it ends up in just being, hey, what's the matchup that you prefer? And a lot of times that is a linebacker because, you know, they're not the best cover players on the field, usually, at least for most teams. So I think one of the reasons why they had success last year was that kind of like they they would high low people all the time. And that's I know we just talked about it, but it's still I feel like it like it frustrates me a little bit because it's clearly something that they've called in the past. It's clearly something Hertz is able to do. And it's like the best way you have to be able to make a linebacker's life hard, which specifically, you know, if they're going to play cover six, that there's still going to be one side where it's, you know, those two linebackers in that middle area, kind of like around the hash, a little bit outside the hash. They have to do a lot of work. Make I think make them work a little bit harder is what I would want to see. So where when you're a team, we, we've talked about, it, I feel like this is a good kind of kind of culmination of the things where you're relying on those those kind of one-on-one curl routes outside and you don't have the same creative answers to attack the middle of the field. Then a split safety defense is, which is, I think, obviously the best way to play really against any pass de- or passing offense. Like it makes so much more sense to play against the Eagles where it's, sometimes it seems like whatever you throw out on the defensive side, they're going to push the ball vertically outside Let's devote more resources to it outside and really challenge the ability to create in the middle of the field. So I think that attacking the middle of the field marries directly to how do you beat split safety defenses because you're just trying to find the weak link on the defense. Obviously, you want to say, let's win on the outside with A.J. Brown, but get that guy inside a little bit. I think, you know, I want to see him run run across or get him more more on those deeper in cuts where like I I just want to like we see a clip every week of a defense where an outside linebacker is lined up on a slot. And that's not like some mistake. Like that is a structural aspect where the offense knows that they can turn the formation of the defense against them. So, you know, I'd I'd love to see a little bit of that. But as we said earlier, right, the Eagles are not a a team where they're going to put, you know, like (laughs) three tight ends or a fullback on the field. So it's, it's something where like, that's just one specific answer, but saying like, we need to attack the, or the Eagles need to attack the middle of the field might not be enough, but it's got to start there, I think. And I, I like that we saw it a little bit against Dallas and think we see it a little bit more going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's a good, like, just doing one of these things is not going to make them an unstoppable offense for the uh, you know final month of the season and in the playoffs. These are different buttons they can push. Maybe they do one, they don't do another. Maybe they lean into one and they ignore another. Maybe they do a little bit of three of them. Like, you're, this is all football is... The NFL is is looking for these tiny edges when you have world-class athletes on every team and the margin between a win and a loss is so often 3.7 within one possession. What are you doing to help your players? Are they doing enough of that? I, I think we just talked about that quite a bit. So um, last thing I wanted to get to here with the offense, Sean, uh, Derek Gunn, who longtime reporter in Philadelphia, reliable, uh, trustworthy, uh, had a report earlier this week where he said, uh, I don't know if it was a player or players told him that the offense and the passing game specifically was too predictable, uh, was the word that he put out there in his tweet. It sort of feel like after having the conversation we just had, I'm like, yeah, I think that I could see a player feeling that way. And I don't think it's probably that far off. And having watched that game against the Cowboys again, I didn't even think the passing game was terrible. And like, I thought Jalen Hurts actually threw the football uh, pretty well 
in that game. I don't know if you uh, agree or disagree with that. Like, I thought that was a different game than the Niners one where I was like, all right, Hertz is feeling it a little bit. You fumble three times in seven possessions. Um, you know, that's not going to lead to a, a good outing. But um, again, there are these these times it feels like where the defense is, especially on some of the uh, the RPO, some of the pat, like they know kind of what to look for, what's coming. They're not giving you a lot of space. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Just kind of, uh, again, assuming um, that that's valid and, and credible. And, and again, this is a credible reporter. So we have, you know, every reason to believe that it is. Uh, what, what's your reaction to the thought that maybe the offense, the passing game is a little too predictable? Yeah, I think every single offense has tendencies, of course, and every single offense leans into really base plays that that is, I think, like not controversial. And I think that you kind of, I mean, I was surprised. I feel like the more I got to like talk to other people and dig into it, that defenses, a lot of times they know it's coming. They just can't stop it. So and I kind of think the selling point of the Eagles offense is like, hey, we are great because we are predictable. Like, you know what's coming and you can't stop it, which when you win, that looks great. And then when you lose, it just looks so so bad and i mean against the, a team like the cowboys that played a ton of man coverage i'm fine you have to press your buttons and kind of win your best matchups because that's i mean the defense is almost able to dictate that to you so predictability to me i why well, I, I mean i think it's true i think that that's not really a like yeah we see the same things a week over week you see that across the league where teams you're obviously going to carry over the same concepts but to me the issue is it's like the lack of flexibility sometimes that you need to have different answers to different problems and it it feels like the answers that they lean into are based on who their players are, which in in theory is not really a problem as opposed to like a scheme-based answer where, well, I guess one example is, you know, that rub play. That's like a scheme-based answer where, I don't know, like I I don't think I could run the pick. Maybe you could, Sheila. I know that you're, you've been working hard at the YMCA. Like it, it, that is a scheme-based answer to a problem that you face <laughs> in man coverage. So <laughs> I just I just think the answer sheet, you know, it might not be as long as you'd like but you know no one complains when you get when you get the the 10 yard curl for for a 15 yard gain six times a game but when it's in those tight situations and defenses you do face the cornerbacks that are able to contest that you do want to feel like hey we have different answers to this problem so i feel like i think the predictability is true i think that that is (laughs) i mean somewhat uncontroversial i think that the bigger problem is you know the lack of flexibility makes it it really really compounds that issue yeah, I think over the, I think you're right. Over the course of a long season, like the numbers are probably going to look pretty good and you're going to feel good about the off, you know, the offense is going to rank in the top eight or whatever. But like the bar is sort of different for this team this year where it's like, all right, against these great opponents in these big spots, do you have other answers uh, you can lean on? And it's been very hit or miss there. So, um, all right. So I think, you know, for the, for the offense overall here, Sean, I think we, we said, all right, uh, run game. We feel like it can, it can still be pretty good. I don't think there are like major things they need to fix there. uh, lean into it, uh, make teams not want to play those split safety looks inside runs, uh, run to the left side. I think they're going to be okay there. I think that's going to self-correct RPO game, get a little more creative teams have a beat on what you're doing with a lot of the ones you've run from last year. And this year, try to try to add some creativity there so that you gain uh, some edges in that respect. Passing game, throw the ball downfield against these. Make teams pay for these big blitzes or they're going to keep doing them to you. Uh, and you got to come up with answers. So that's absolutely one. Work the middle of the field more in terms of those split safety zones. Move the wide receivers a little bit more. Maybe add a little motion there. Did I miss anything? Are those the big things we think in terms of, hey, uh, let's get this offense working a little bit better? 
Yeah, I think so. The only thing you missed is, you know, the optimist, the the general like optimistic vibe there. Like, I, so last year I covered the Vikings. They go thirteen and four. Everyone thinks and like knows, hey, this team is not as good as their record. And now I get, I mean, this great privilege of talking about the Eagles every week. I feel like I get, I maybe I'm the commonality here where it's a team where people may think that they're not as good as their record, but the offense is good. Like that, the it's not as it's not a Super Bowl offense. I think it didn't show that on Sunday, but they're like the fundamentals are so clearly there. Where you know you hope that it's it's smoothed over over these next few weeks where you know you don't have to cancel all your plans for late in the playoffs already you know there there there's still there's still a lot of good that can be played out there there you go all right yeah that, i think that's right they're eighth in offensive dvoa there are things they can do to make their lives easier uh let's see what it looks like here down the stretch all right now this is the harder one john uh the eagles defense okay they're 20th in offensive dvoa they're 23rd versus the pass they're 14th versus the run now i will say DVOA does adjust for opponent, but man, they have faced a very, they have faced the third hardest schedule of opposing offenses. Last year, they faced the second easiest. They have faced the first, second, third, fourth, sixth, and ninth offenses in DVOA. Six of the last seven games have been against top six offenses. So a lot of this has been, all right, you're playing great teams. Do you have answers? Well, they played pretty well against Miami, Kansas City, and the Rams, and then they got lit up. Uh, against the the Cowboys, uh, against the Bills, and against the 49ers. So I think it's been a little more hitter. Like I, you're seeing a lot of the counting, the overall stats, and those don't account for opponent, which I think is a very uh, big deal here. Now, having said that, since week eight, they are 29th in defensive DVOA. That is not good. So I'm not making excuses uh, for this defense. They have not looked good. We've all seen it with our own eyes. All right, let's go real quick here uh, on the run defense. Um, it just hasn't been as good as it was earlier in the season. I think since week eight, they're 23rd in success rate against the run. Is this just a matter of the young defensive tackles wearing down or uh, you know, below average linebacker play? What do you think on film in terms of the run defense? Maybe not being quite as good uh, as, it, as it was earlier in the season. I do think we see a few less just like clean defensive line wins where Jalen Carter is getting his arm over someone and just able to kind of get a minus two on a run really quickly. And it does feel like on film, you know, this is kind of amorphous and more qualitative than quantitative, but it feels like, you know, there's a bit more of a push from the offensive line. But then even that when the defensive tackles are doing a really good job, the linebackers are, you know, I don't think anyone's pretending that this is the best linebacking crew in the league. So it feels like sometimes, you know, linebackers aren't able to kind of clean up that problem and then the edge runs i think are an issue where against the dolphins you get that run where i think it's it's reddick where he's able to get upfield real quick and get that stop that now offenses are more than happy to pin him down and get it even like loop it out make it feel like a punt return where the cowboys were able to do that so i think edge runs like if i'm looking at an eagles defense like that's that's i think what i'm going to do because there are those two really good defensive tackles and whatever the rotation is and so those are a bit of a problem, but obviously from the two, you know, the run versus the pass. I think the, the pass defense is probably what uh, what stresses you out more. Yeah, I, I agree with that. We don't need to spend. Yeah, listen, if teams are going to like it hasn't been as good. I don't think there's like a fix that they're going to make schematically to uh, stop stop these runs. I think the focus has to be on the passing game, which is really, really struggling right now. So I was trying to look at the coverage profile here, Sean. Uh, last year. They played man 24% of the time. This year, it's over 30% of the time. So there has been an uptick in man coverage, 
The problem, Sean, is that they have not been good playing man coverage. They are 28th in EPA per pass play when playing man coverage. Is this as simple uh, of a tweak as, hey, I know you might want to play some man, but Bradbury looks a little older. You don't have a good answer uh, in the slot. You don't want your linebackers matched up in man coverage. You probably don't want your safeties uh, matched up in man coverage. Let's ease up on that. You're not great at handling bunches. You're not great at handling stacks. You're not great at handling picks. Let's just dial that down a little bit. Go back to a little bit of Johnny Gans's playbook. Play a little bit more quarters coverage with two deep safeties and at least give ourselves a chance against some of these opponents. What do you think? Is that uh, like probably not going to work or is that something they could lean into a little bit more? I mean, it only took 14 weeks for people to start claiming for Jonathan Gannon, huh? But what, like, when you run down the list of things that a, cord- that a coordinator could do, it just feels like every single thing has an issue because the secondary is not good enough to match up in man coverage against the top end receivers right now. The linebackers aren't good enough to be reliable in zone and then zone coverage, you know, it turns into man coverage on the outside eventually and offenses are more than happy to win there. At the same time, I do think, you know, Dak particularly this week hit some really, really nice tight window completions that you hope over time some more of those end up as incompletions. And schematically, man coverage is the perfect defense because if every single receiver is covered, you're more than happy. But obviously that's not what is playing out. So I do like the idea of maybe leaning into quarters a little bit, just being everyone's you know, favorite laid back defense, force those checkdowns over and over all that fancy stuff. People can read the Fangio article for a second time. That, that, that would obviously be great for me. But, you know, that type of conservative defense does have its own issues. So maybe it's a little bit more of that cover six. You know, some some people will call the, the opposite of that cover eight as well, where I think Byard, maybe he wants to be a little bit more of a down safety instead of a deep safety on passing downs. Maybe that's how he played in Tennessee. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you, you, I mean, if something isn't working, you kind of got to get away from it. I do think like Desai likes that five down look because you have to win one-on-one every single spot on the offensive line. The problem is that that is happening for offenses. So in, in theory, it's awesome when you feel like you're, in, you are at a plus at a lot of those matchups up front, but when you're losing those, your man coverage just looks a whole lot worse. So it's, it's hard to separate Russian coverage. I'm going to talk about the marriage of Russian coverage for as long as as long as I'm allowed to, but yeah. So <laughs> I think you're going to have to take your foot off that that button a little bit, particularly against, I mean, when we talk about the Seahawks, like that's not really a team you feel, you're going to feel comfortable with in man coverage at all three spots. It's just tough because these teams are so good at getting the matchups they want. Like there was a play last game, it's D.D. Lamb versus uh, Bradley Roby in the slot, and I think Reed Blankenship came down as kind of like a robber, and Bradley Roby still let you know Lamb get... Uh, outside on an outbreaking route, and it turns into a 26 yard completion. And I'm just like, that's not, you know, like, I'm not going to feel good about that. Like, that's not one where, hey, you know, uh, seven out of 10 times you're going to win that, but this was just one of the three. It's like, no, that's usually, that's probably not going to work most of the time. And I, it just feels like uh, opponents are able to kind of scheme up those matchups against the Eagles when they're in man coverage. So I think that's something they have to look at dialing back here. Um, a little, not saying, obviously, you always, you're going to play some man, some zone, say every, all different coverages, but that just has not uh, been working for them so far this year. Uh, what about disguise, Sean? This is, a, you know, you just mentioned it. You wrote the Fangio article and you explained it to us earlier this year. You start out in that too high shell. It doesn't mean you stay in the too high shell. It's about that, what, first uh, half a second after the snap where you're rotating, can you create confusion? Are you seeing those elements 
in this defense? I mean, obviously, we're not seeing those elements working. You're not confusing opposing quarterbacks, but are you seeing them trying to do those things, or has that not been maybe as big a part of the defense as we anticipated coming into the season? Well, from a rate perspective, they are a bit above league average. I think they're at like 27% going from either too high to one high post-snap or one high to two high post-snap, and the league average is right around 25. So from a, yeah, again, from a rate perspective, they are. But the larger point, I think, is that like disguise, it's not what it used to be, I think, because like, like the first time a safety rotated, the offense is probably like their brain exploded as if like it's a caveman discovering fire. But it's it's been around for a really long time. It's been around... <laughs> forever at the college level and now yeah. i mean obviously the boom in 2018 so like you can really and they teach quarterbacks hey read that weak safety because the way that the weak safety rotates tells you a lot about what's going on in the defense and then you know you can still be predictable in rotation where when your linebackers are bumped over you you know from an offense perspective they're more likely than not maybe it's a little bit after the snap instead of kind of right at the snap but a safety is going to be that kind of gap filler in the run game. So to me, it's not about just, oh, are they disguising enough? Are they disguising not enough? It's like disguise is not just like a, like, like I think higher of motion maybe than disguise in terms of like, this is like a salve for a lot of different things. So, and then also like you say, oh, you know, offenses are fine. Like finding matchups, the larger problem is like, what matchup do you not like on an offense? You know, like, like pick your poison. Even when I thought it was cool that, the Eagles tried to have like Bradbury on yeah. Ferguson this week a little bit, which it's like, okay, like they're clearly trying. Like I, I start the season where, you know, the defense is the favorite child, but it just feels like <laughs> it feels like all the child, all the children doing something wrong now. Yeah, it's it. And, and I do think like context is important. I mean, I had the Eagle, I did my, you know, rankings for the ringer before the season projecting every defense. And I had the Eagle 16th. I thought they were going to take a big step back for all the reasons I had uh, in that Johnny Gans rant I had early in the season where I said, you know, don't don't tell me that they're don't show me these comparisons this year to last year because it's going to be different based on opponent, uh, based on turnover lock, based on injury lock, all those things. By the way, Cardinals are 31st in defensive DVOI. Uh, but anyway, uh, so yeah, like some of that is what you've expected. Now, I will say this. I, I always make the point coaching is about doing more with less. So we can point to it and say the personnel isn't good. These matchups aren't good. But you know what? When that, yeah, I don't know how like NFL coaching deposits work. I guess he gets like a probably a direct deposit, Sean Desai, every two weeks. When that goes in there, like like Don Draper says, this is what the money is for, is to figure out these hard problems where you might have guys showing decline, not playing as well. What are your answers to, to those problems? And so I, I think it's absolutely fair to ding him for that. So I, I listen, I, I'm just telling you, I think a lot of it is personnel based right now with this group. You have four members of the secondary who are 30 years or older. You don't have good linebackers. Uh, you have like one safety who you can rely on and your pass rush isn't getting home. That's not great. So that start with that baseline. But are there things where you could say, hey, if there was whoever your favorite defensive coordinator is, Vic, whatever, would they be able to get a little, get more out of this unit? I think that's also fair to say, yes, it, it seems like they wouldn't be able to get them to like top 10, but could they get them to more respectable to keep you in some of these games? Um, I think it's fair to ding them there. All right. I mentioned the pass rush, Sean. I mean, the numbers with the pass rush are pretty alarming here, okay? Uh, they're 21st in sack rate. They're 12th in pressure rate, which listeners know I think is a little bobo because, you know, you're charting these pressures. Uh, an edge rusher goes seven yards upfield and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, he gets a pressure for that. Well, did he really do anything? Uh, probably not. So I don't love those. 
they're facing the uh, third fastest time to throw against. Now, last year, um, they were first in sack rate, second in pressure rate, and quarterbacks were holding the football a little bit longer. But my big issue is third down when we talk about the pass rush, okay? Uh, They are 32nd in defensive DVOA on third down. It's the same thing we talked about with the offense. It's kind of the opposite. On offense, like first and second down haven't been great, but Jalen Hurts has kind of been saving you on third down. Is that sustainable? I don't know, but that's what it is. It's the opposite on defense. They've been much better on first and second down. So if you're looking at this with a uh, hopeful eye, you're saying, hey, that's supposed to be sort of the stickier metric is first and second down, not third down. And they stink on third down. They're literally the worst defense in the NFL on third down. So what's happening on third down? They're last in sack rate. Let me repeat that. They're last in sack rate. Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, Fletcher Cox, Milton Williams, Brandon Graham, Nolan Smith. Look at what you've invested in this pass rush and your last in sack rate on third down. I mean, that, that like start there when you're talking about the third down issues. And when you look at time to throw on third down, you say, all right, Sheil, you don't know it all. They're not covering anyone. These quarterbacks are getting rid of the football. No, they're not. They're right on league average on third down in terms of average time to throw. And I don't know what you thought, Sean, but I was watching, watching that Cowboys film. I'm like, Dak's got time back there. Like Dak is not just, you know, getting the shotgun snap and getting rid of it. He's able to go through his reads and quarterbacks. Yeah. They're not just going to stand there and like take a sack. Sorry. It's unfair that they're allowed to climb the pocket or move around a little bit, but they are allowed to do that. You're still supposed to be able to affect them. And the Eagles are not doing that right now. Last year, they were first in sack rate, uh, on third down and they were third in pressure rate. And by the way, opposing quarterbacks got rid of the football faster last year on third down than they are this year on third down against the Eagles. So when we look at that, I mean, you can just give me, if you want to give me a three second answer and just say their pass rushes aren't playing as well, that's fine. We can move on to the next thing. It might not be more complicated than that, but is it, is it as simple as that? I mean, what, what are, what are you seeing on film? Cause we have given this pass rush, it's flowers for much of the se- earlier in the season. They're getting after quarterbacks. It is not happening at all in recent games. Yeah, I mean, even in the stadium, like the confidence for the Cowboys offense on third down from the fans was like similar to when the kicker kicked the second 60 yard. Like there's just there was like no doubt on the kicks. There's no doubt when you get to third down. So I I, I want to say they try everything. They rush four, they send five, they get into those five down fronts, they twist, they move down, they move guys around. They got into some creepers where one week or one time this week, like Nolan Smith was dropping out. Dak hits a seam ball there. They send six. You got Bayard almost gets there. Yeah. Ferguson ends up converting. So it's not like a lack of trying where if Desai thinks, you know, hey, my four are not good enough. I need to do something. They're trying other things. I do think, you know, Desai's DNA isn't really blitzing. But on the coverage end, if we're saying, you know, let's let's get let's get into our favorite cover four, that means you're rushing four players. So are you comfortable with that? Are you going to win? So I do I do lean into the, yeah, just just uh just win some some more up front. But the only reason why I feel kind of comfortable saying that is because I've seen like every single thing where they try it all. They move guys around. They, they throw extra bodies at it. And when it's just not working, not working, not working, I think it's, it's frustrating. She like, I would love film that was just like, Oh, they play one defense. And when it doesn't work, we can get on here and say, Hey, play another defense, but that's just not it. So then maybe it's the opposite where it's like, Hey, you need to find a defense where you can feel really comfortable playing one thing over and over again. But I mean, we know it's not, going to be man coverage and it's not like i mean i don't think their linebackers are you know are super super like 
like pro blitz like they're not uh that's uh, probably not what they love to do or are really good at so it's it's just uh it's just a frustrating windshield yeah it's hard i mean and this is where now you can look at some of the management of some of these players like josh sweat has already played 80 more snaps than he played last year and we still have four games to go was that the plan coming in is that a decide thing? Is that an organizational thing? Like, what's the reasoning for that? Because you drafted Nolan Smith, you brought back Brandon Graham for one year, and so for Josh Sweat to be having played that many snaps, I think you're definitely seeing an effect there. Jordan Davis has played 170 more, 72 more snaps than he played last year, and like he didn't play a lot of snaps in college. Like this has to be. I don't know if he has a chart, a spreadsheet at home, like we do the girls height on the door. I don't know if he has something like that at his house, like number of snaps played every year of his football career. But I would imagine this would be the most football he's ever played in his career. And they still have four games to go and playoff games to go. Jalen Carter has played 420 snaps. Again, he was not an every down player at Georgia. They rotated guys and it's showing up. Part of what we've seen with the run defense is those guys aren't having the impact they had earlier in the season. Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis, Sean, last four games, they have hit the quarterback zero times. I mean, come on. That that like that's just gonna be that's a huge factor for why your defense isn't playing well. Your two, you know, two of your main defensive tackles have not touched the quarterback in four games. By the way, uh, you throw in Josh Sweat there. Sweat, Jalen Carter, and Jordan Davis, three of your main pass rushers, don't have a sack in the last four games. Like that is a huge issue here. Uh, and then you mentioned, yes, people are probably yelling at their, uh, at their, at their phones, at their cars, whatever. All right. Well, if it's not working, the coordinator should be blitzing more. It's kind of goes to what you mentioned. You know, what team absolutely sucks when they blitz, that would be your Philadelphia Eagles. They are 31st in success rate and 31st in EPA per pass play when blitzing. They are 30th in success rate when blitzing on third down. They are 31st in EPA per pass play when blitzing on third down. Now, again, some of those are those five-man fronts uh, you've mentioned. It's not, you know, it's not always, hey, blitz a linebacker, blitz a DB, those kinds of things. But when they've committed more resources to the pass rush, it hasn't gotten home. And then you have fewer resources in the back end where you're already at a disadvantage with these guys in coverage. So I don't have a great answer for you there and what they should do other than I do think for the next month or so, they got to rotate these guys more. They have to have an eye. Well, obviously you want to win the games. There's no doubt about it, but like let Nolan Smith uh, get some reps here. Let Marlon Tui Pelotu get some reps maybe on early downs. Rotate, rotate, rotate. If Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis are playing like this, once the playoffs come around, your defense against these uh, good offenses really have no chance there. So uh, I don't think that probably made anyone uh, feel that good. Sean, those answers to the, uh, to the pass rush there. Did I, did I miss, miss anything there uh, with the pass rush stuff, stuff you could say, Hey, they could try this or maybe they could lead into this. Or is it kind of like you said, there's not a great answer other than your better players playing better and winning those one-on-ones more. Yeah. Though uh, just like a, a, a side note, I do think it's important. Like, okay, they haven't played in the same blowouts as they have last year. So just by virtue of that, they're going to have more snaps. And I, I don't, I try not to think too much about rest differential. I, I do think that's real though. When you're playing two teams that came off 10 days rest, whatever, it's like four games in, in 20 days. And I mean, I'm a believer in sports science, you know, maybe we should get the oximeter on you, see where your blood oxygen levels 
Iraq compared to last podcast when maybe you weren't as sick. And then we'll, we'll, we'll compare that to performance. So you hope that that evens out a bit. And then I'm already thinking about, well, now Monday night, they're going to be in Seattle. They're going to fly back late Monday, wake up Tuesday at 4 a.m. land in, in Philly. So I, don't know, I, I hope that that can help a little bit because it's such a long, long season. I know you're feeling it. You're, you're, you're feeling it on your body right now. So it's such a long season for those players too, that hopefully, you know, you get that one extra day of rest. I know that that's a problem and annoying for all the fans that have to change their travel arrangements, but maybe good for the team. Yeah, I did tell my you know wife about my sickness, and she's like, "This happens every year, right around this time. You just like it catches up to you, uh, and you think you're really sick. You're not really sick. You're just tired, and then it goes away after a few days. You don't need to go to the doctor. You don't need me to go to the store to get you some tussin. Uh, you'll be fine. Just relax." So yeah, that, that that's kind of an annual uh, tradition here in the Capadia household since I've been covering um, the NFL. So there you go. I mean, I all right. So that's a wrap on the defense. I mean. You definitely, when you're listening to this, you're probably feeling, I would say, better about the offense because there, I think, are things to be done there, and they're not as bad. I don't know if you're feeling better um, about the defense. Listen, I think the defense is going to look a lot better in the next four weeks because the opponents are not as good. I don't know that you're going to be feeling that confident about the defense going into a potential playoff game against the Cowboys or the 49ers. This the, again, the bottom line for me is this whole organizational philosophy was built on pouring resources into the offensive line and the defensive line. That is a fine organizational philosophy. I'm not telling you they need, I mean, that's an off season conversation we can maybe have about whether they need to adjust that or not. So far it's worked well for them. I think it's smart. I think a lot of, you know, it's again, it's like AJ Brown, Devonte Smith, Dallas Goddard. They should win their one-on-one matchups. Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick, Jalen, like these guys should win their one-on-one matchups that should give you an advantage every week. It's not happening right now. They got manhandled by the Cowboys offensive line in both games this season. We, we, I remember us having those conversations after those commanders games where we say, huh, we didn't think it was, we thought it was going to look a little better than that. They were going to get more wins against that. It hasn't happened. And so it's a group that's underperformed. Uh, I don't think it's something schematically. Uh, I just think those guys are not playing as well, whether there's lingering injury issues, whether it's a rest thing, whether it's fatigue, I don't know. But to me, that is like their answer. That has nothing to do with, yeah, other than rotating guys, it doesn't have a lot to do with coaching. It has a, uh, it has to do with can the guys you're paying a lot of money or invested a lot of resources into uh, play better. And to be fair, they they are healthy, so like they still have those guys. It's not like they lost these guys for the year and they're playing backups. Like they still have the pass rushers they thought they were going to have at the beginning of the season. So maybe those guys get going and we go into the playoffs and we say, wow, they found a second wind. They rested them uh, and now they're ready to go in these big spots. All right. I've kept you too long, Sean. Five minutes on the Seahawks. We don't need to go long here. I know I said, I enjoyed this episode. I feel like I have a great sense of the state of the team going into the final four weeks. Listen, if you're listening to this, I thought that was a great blend of what we see on film, what the numbers show, state of the Eagles going into the final four games. If you enjoy, you know, just go. This is free. Just go, you know, on your podcast provider, leave a little comment, leave a little review, give us a little bump. All right. Just give me like, 30 seconds on what you think about this matchup on the Seahawks offense versus the Eagles defense. I know you have like 50 other things to do and I'm keeping you way too long. We don't need to spend too much time on this. Well, Sheila, I mean, this is the Capadia Bowl, you know, the Eagles Seahawks, but we're not even going to spend that much time on it. That, that, that's tough. But, you know, Sean Desai got to see them last year. Gino is going to take those shots. Metcalf Lockett, JSN, they got a home run hitter at running back. I think you want to see doubling DK Metcalf with a little bit more of a zone mentality than an offensive mentality. 
And I'm going to keep on saying it. Hey, this is the offensive line to beat until it happens. Thank God we're not facing Washington again. So that, that's my, my kind of bit on, a, on this part of the matchup. There you go. Well said. Seahawks are 14th in DVOA, 11th in passing. They didn't have Geno Smith last week. It looks like he could be back this week. Uh, he's an accurate pocket passer. We'll make the, you know, you mentioned those tight window throws Dak made last week. Geno will attempt those. Uh, he will let it rip. He's sixth in drop back success rate, 17th in EPA per pass play. You mentioned it as Smith and Jigbaud and Lockett. Both those guys will line up in the slot. So another week where we say, what are they going to do in the slot? Are they going to trust themselves to play man coverage against those guys uh, or not? And then you mentioned it. This could be a get a bit of a get right game for the Eagles pass rush. Let's see. Can they get after Geno Smith? I mean, this is not as good of a group nearly as the one they faced last week in Dallas. So I think defensively, you're talking about, hey, uh, can you pressure him? Can you force him into turnovers? I could see the pass rush if they're kind of, you know, if you let a fire under them here, that they could really control this game. If you win the game, that could be a big factor. All right. Other side of the ball. You mentioned it. Uh, Seahawks defense not playing 26th in DVOA. They just got lit up by both the Cowboys and the 49ers the last uh, two weeks. They did not force a punt against the Cowboys. They're 27th versus the pass. 19th versus the run. Uh, what do you think about that matchup? Eagles offense versus Seahawks defense. Yeah, I think Seahawks defense, they are they want to be downhill on defense. So you can get those run fitters to bite. You can get them to over pursue a little bit. And hopefully, you know, whether it's a play action or something with some crosser kind of going over the top, hopefully you can see that. I do think, I mean, Spoon is so much fun to watch. Streak Woolen is, is really fun to watch on the outside. But I still think you can, you know, you can get those safeties hammered down, get some shots over the top. Right? You think Diggs is actually really, really good as well. You know, they'll play a ton of nickel as every defense does, but they'll send that nickel player off the edge a lot, especially from big nickel with Jamal Adams, particularly in the run game. So, you know, you hopefully you can run them out of too high, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, is it something where you know maybe it's it's a few more of those advantage throws out to the slot this week than we're used to. There you go. Yeah, uh, Devon Witherspoon, the rookie, got injured last week, so we'll see. I think Pete Carroll said he thinks he's going to play, but that's one to keep an eye on. Uh, and you mentioned Reek Woolen on the outside there. Uh, their pass rush, uh, Jerron Reed and Boye Mafe both have seven sacks. Jordan Brooks, Will Blitz, he's got five sacks. Uh, Draymond Jones was their big free agent signing, uh, defensive tackle. Leonard Williams, they traded for. So they've like poured a lot into this defense, have not seen the results. They were hoping for. I know Pete Carroll like talked about uh, moving away from that cover three, which he was known for. They're still playing it at the fourth highest rate in the NFL, but they have incorporated more quarters coverage. Heavy zone, I think the second highest rate of zone coverage in the NFL. So those things we were talking about earlier, can you beat split safety zones? Cover three is not split safety, but if they lean into cover four quite a bit in this game, do you have answers? Uh, that's certainly something to keep an eye on. Uh, not a great pass rush. So you, you should have a chance to control the game up front on both sides of the ball. So uh, it's the first four game losing streak of the Pete Carroll era. Their backs are against the wall. Uh, Eagles are three and a half point favorites in this game. I'm going to wait to pick the game. It's only what Wednesday and the game's not till Monday. So I'll, I'll get you my pick uh, in another spot. All right. Last things here, Sean, before I let you go. And I know I've said that four times. I needed to give a shout out to more Spotify rap. People because listen, some of you didn't get it in uh, before the, now I imagine you as a student, you were getting everything in before the deadline, right? I, I imagine you never had to ask for an extension. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I will say, you know, I, I think I did a good job. I will say my brother, yeah, 
he's he's a lawyer, and then he also teaches at SMU Law. So he he you know, he always got those issues where you know how how do you handle it? So how do you handle the late submission, Shield? Mm. Uh, I don't know. I have no one submitting anything to me. It's uh, it's glorious, and so I don't have to handle it uh, at all. I think I'm, pr- I'm I'm pretty. You know, I usually show up a minute after you guys on the pod, so I'm a little late there, uh, and then I just give a heads up, like, hey. Uh, I'm not going to be like, I have to write my old picks column after this. I'm like, it's not coming in until probably 11 o'clock or so uh, tonight. So you just give them a heads up and you'll be okay. But so some of you missed the deadline. It's okay. But we had big time numbers. So I want to give a shout out to some people. We have Menka and her son Amare who live in Seattle, listen in Seattle, but have been Philly diehards. They have listened for 6,100 and 51 minutes, the top 0.5%, along with uh, her brother, Adele, uh, hopefully I pronounced that right, sorry if I didn't, who lives in Austin, hey, down down near you, maybe, you know, you guys can, you might see you on the street and ask for an autograph, uh, they're in the top 0.5%, so great job out of them. Then, we had listener on Twitter, Mike Maddox, 6,096 minutes, also 0.5%. So, you know what? I'm getting ready for the show. I'm thinking, all right, these are these are going to be the two winners. And then over the top. I mean, I don't even know if this is real. You might have gamed the system. I don't I would have to look at how many minutes we actually recorded this year. Cliffy B. This is not Cliffy A, who was Cliff Augustine, our ace producer. This is Cliffy B. 10,063 minutes. Top zero. 0.05% listener to the Ringers Philly special listening in from New York. So Cliffy B, uh, amazing job from everybody, but you are the winner by a long shot. I don't think anyone else was 7,000 or more. Listen, maybe they don't listen to it on Spotify and that's, that's their problem. You know, I'm a company man. You got to listen uh, on Spotify to count the minutes. So um, anyone who I've given a shout out on the podcast, uh, Get in touch with me. We will figure, you know, you can email me, shieldk at spotify.com. Do that. Don't tweet at me. Don't Instagram me because I'll lose those. Just email me, shieldk at spotify.com. And I don't know. I know we'll figure out something. I mean, I might get you, like, um, you know, an old T-shirt or uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure something out. We'll get you something for listening to all those minutes. All right, Sean, this was a marathon episode. How are you feeling? Yeah, I was about to say 10,063 minutes is just about as long as this episode. So I think people are going to be able to do a good job <laughs> run, running those numbers up this year. Is it is Cliffy B short for Cl- Cliffy Cliff's burner? You know, we know the ringer has, does a good job of uh, revealing burners. So, you know, Ooh. You, never know. you never know. And Cliff has said he wants some he wants some ringer gear. I don't, Cliff, do we have a conspiracy? If is that can you? The system, you it's a great producer. To get you a t-shirt. Look, man, you can give me some ringer gear somehow as a as somebody who works there and can't get their hands on any ringer gear and I have to do anything that I can to, you know, fudge the numbers, fake the numbers, maybe even make make up a burner account and then have a fake Spotify rap graphic sent it to you just so I can get a damn T-shirt from the company I work for. I think that'd be pretty cool. Don't you? Oh, that is outstanding. Yes, I do. All right. So maybe, you know, I'll, I'll maybe yeah. for Christmas day, uh, 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 Bill might mail me something, you know, maybe, maybe yeah. somebody, somebody from the top of the office might, might, might give me a shirt uh, or a hat, you know? All right. 
I should get it. I got to get in touch with some someone that, that should hook Cliff up uh, for the holidays, at least get the man a t-shirt uh, or something there. So we're going to get Cliffy Please. B something. We're going to get Cliffy A, a something uh, as well there. All right. Thank you, Sean. This was fantastic. I think this content can't get anywhere else. Come on. It's mixing everything uh, in here uh, with this episode. So again, just leave a little rating, leave a little review. Uh, thank you to Sean from Sumer Sports. Thank you to Cliff Augustine, ace producer, Cliffy A. Thank you to Cliffy B for listening to 10,000 Minutes. Uh, I'm Shiel Kapadia. I think maybe you might get a little bonus preview from me later in the week. Let's see. I think you'll get something from me before that Monday night football game. So uh, look out for that. Everyone have a great week. We'll talk to you soon on the Ringers Philly Special. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.